Oh my gosh. You won't believe what we're doing today. We're reading through Dr. Michael Heiser's views on original sin, Romans 5.12. Of course, he rejects original sin. But in this one, we were supposed to be getting the talk about his views on whether infants go to heaven or hell or whatever it is. But no, no, no. More replies to replies. Great. Anyways, this is fun. I mean, a couple of them are a little weird and funny to talk about, but whatever. He says, it still doesn't seem like the time to go into what I really want to, the where do babies go when they die thing. I promise that will be the next post, but for now, some mop of, mop of further replies and questions seems best. I don't know, Heiser. I mean, you're promising, but I don't know if you have my trust yet there, man. The commenter says, you seem I... I'm leaving you the room for clarification. He says, you seem to have restricted death here in Romans 5 to physical death. This is a mistake for the context clarifies that death is both spiritual and physical. The death introduced by Adam is conjoined with condemnation, verse 16 and 18, and also contrasted with eternal life. Thus, it can hardly be restricted to physical death. Indeed, Paul is likely reflecting on the threat of Genesis 2.17, where Adam is warned that he will die on the very day he transgresses God's command. When Adam sins, however, physical death does not immediately follow. We should not conclude from this that Adam continued to live after his sin. The account in Genesis 3 reveals that Adam died when he sinned, for upon sinning he was immediately separated from God. Adam's hiding, Adam's hiding from God and his expulsion from the garden signal his spiritual separation from God. He said, the commenter says, I am not suggesting that physical death and spiritual death can ultimately be separated, for the former is the culmination and outworking of the latter. Nonetheless, the account in Genesis indicates that death is fundamentally separation from God, and this alienation from God entered the world through Adam's sin. It is also vital to understand that death and sin are twin powers that entered the world when Adam transgressed. That sin and death are powers is borne out in the subsequent context, where Paul speaks of sin and death as reigning, of unbelievers as being slaves to sin, and of the wages sin exacts from its subjects. He says, death reigned. Heiser. Oh, okay, interesting. He says, there's a lot in here that doesn't make sense to me, and that isn't entirely the fault of the commenter. Let's take the first part, about spiritual death. I wonder whether this category has any legitimacy at all. I've heard many preachers define death as separation of body and soul, okay with that, and then go on to talk about spiritual death as separation from God. Seems an odd category, perhaps, and this is, depends on one's view of whether hell on the second death is eternal. There is some legitimacy for the idea to the second death. People are raised to judgment and then die the second death. If that death is not annihilation of the body, then an eternal death would seem legitimately definable as separation from God. The problem, of course, with that is that in the very same passage, Revelation 20, 14, death itself suffers the second death. So you get into the logical problem of how death itself can still be living ongoing when it has died. Put it another way, how can the second death be eternal if death is put to death? Interesting. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is, as many of you will see, an argument for the end of death, annihilation. Those on the traditional side have come up with a way for death itself to die and yet not be dead. 
Not easy. I'm still chewing on this one, so I can't say I'd cast my vote anywhere. It's a problem. At least, though, you should all know why I'm hesitant to even accept the spiritual death category. I'm also glad that my answer to these replies on Romans 5.12 doesn't depend on that question, but there's another reason to wonder about the legitimacy of spiritual death. He says, Now the commenter would likely define spiritual death as any separation from God. That seems an overreading. With respect to verses like Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. It seems clear that sinners, anyone who sins, which is every human who is allowed to live and can, except for Jesus, are destined for separation from God in the afterlife. Incidentally, some commenters think that Romans 6.23 undermines my Romans 5.12 view, that since all of us born after Adam die and we inherited Adam's death, that means we inherited guilt. No, it means that all who sin and are unredeemed endure this afterlife fate. Adam and C. Adam and Eve sinned and then died. They lost immortality, and therefore all their descendants did. All who descend from Adam die, but only if they sin does the wage of sin come into effect. Death and the afterlife unless redeemed. The rest of humanity wasn't guilty of what Adam did, but they would suffer something very serious because of it. Death, or loss of immortality. And as I noted in the previous post, with the environment of Eden gone, they would be helpless to avoid sinning. Very interesting. I'm sure there will be some comments on this one. Commenter says, I am also perplexed that you can sustain the thesis that death is the result of Adam's one sin, but not guilt. Don't you see that condemnation is attributed to the sin of the one man? Condemnation implies guilt. Are you considering this? What? No. Um, if I, if a parent grounds their child and their child is therefore not allowed to go to the party and therefore the people at the party don't have as much fun, does that mean that the people at the party are guilty? Obviously not. Maybe I'm on something. Maybe I'm misunderstanding. I just says, let's see, let's try an illustration. Did David's infant son from Bathsheba incur moral guilt for David's sin? No, but he died as a result. He suffered the consequences without participating in the sin. Ah, yes, that's a good example. So did Achan's battle, or so did Achan's battle. Everyone likes to assume that Achan's family must have somehow participated in his sin at Jericho, even though the text doesn't say that. But then they must explain how his livestock sinned to make that work. Take a look at Romans 5.12 again. The text clearly says death passed upon all humanity. It's point blank. It never says condemnation, guilt passed upon all men. The Bible is filled with examples, corporate solidarity or otherwise, where people suffer the effects of someone else's sin without ever being guilty of that sin. You might say, well, Romans 5 is different. On what basis? Not the text of Romans 5.12. The guilt has to be imported into the text. It ain't there unless you put it there. Look at the words. All humans suffer the effect of the fall, and they need not be guilty for what Adam did. Just like the creation suffers the effect of the fall, did the creation sin? Where? What verse? Oh, that's a great example. Anyways, commenter. Remember how I said that Romans 5.12 has the ability to affirm original sin in one of my comments? But I needed my Greek text to see it. Uh, Heiser, pardon me here, but you're not noticing anything in the Greek text that's new and that I haven't seen either. <laughs> okay. 
commenter says, here it is. When Paul says, I'll send, he indeed means that every human being has personally sent. Heiser says, so where is the Greek argument? You simply pick a translation and assert your view. Where is the grammatical basis? Semantic basis? Commenter, nevertheless, we should not read a Pelagian interpretation from this. For the FO phrase explains why all human beings have sinned. Heiser says, so tell us how. I don't see any grammatical syntactical analysis here. Otherwise, all you've said to this point is that we have to have our theology in place before we look at the text and interpret it. Basically, come to the conclusion, come to the conclusion that you already have before you come to the text. He says, don't waste your time on the grammatical syntactical analysis. Either the commentators have done it and they show that the phrase elastic, you won't get anywhere. Okay, well... Heiser says, or the commenter says, as a result of Adam's sin, death entered the world and engulfed all people. All people entered the world alienated from God and spiritually dead by virtue of Adam's sin. Heiser says, what's the Greek word for spiritual death? Hint, there isn't one. What you've done here is brought an interpretation from Genesis 3 about spiritual death, which was based upon some sort of take on the verb. Adam didn't drop dead, so this death must be spiritual which simply isn't required by the future projected semantics of the verb. And lest it's English, a future verb doesn't tell us how close in the future it could be any point in the future. Basically what he's saying is, in Genesis, they, God says that Adam will die if he eats from the fruit. It doesn't tell us when he will die. A very important point. But you're saying that since this death didn't happen in the immediate future, the death must be spiritual. This is eisegesis. Once that interpretation is placed on Genesis 3, it is then imported into Romans 5, and that passage is made to say more than the words that are in it. This is actually a vivid illustration of the problem with the traditional view. It is contrived to explain why Adam didn't drop dead when the answer is as easy as affirming a future verb doesn't tell us how close in the future. It's so much simpler than what the traditional view does in making the passage. It's so much simpler than the traditional view does in making the passages stand on their own, on their head, as it were. Commenter, one more thing. Check this out. He says, oh, Adam, what have you done? For though, uh, this is from 2nd second Edris, Ezra, I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's too early. Oops. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's too early for me. He says, Oh, Adam, what have you done? For though it was you who sinned, the fall was not yours alone, but ours also who are your descendants. So yeah, this is a writer from the intertestamental period. He is saying that it was Adam who sinned. The fall was not Adam's alone, but also ours who you are your descendants. So everyone else falls. That doesn't mean that everyone's guilty, of course. He says, I'm not heralding, this is proof for my position, but it is one example of how a Jew identified himself with Adam and his sin in the garden. The fall is not yours alone, but ours also. Heiser says, good thing we don't take this one too seriously. How could we, who didn't exist, influence, how could we, who didn't exist, influence Adam to sin? The answer is, we couldn't. Beings that don't exist don't do anything because, well, they don't exist. At best, this is reflective of the unscientific thinking in Hebrews 7, which doesn't work either since it's contrary to reality. Yeah, I don't see how this verse 118 is implying any type of original sin or guilt. It, it just 
isn't specific enough. Now, something for the commentators. I'm glad we went down these trails since I think careful readers will see all the more how the traditional view is contrived and based on assumptions and ideas brought into Genesis 3 to explain why Adam didn't die on the spot. And then how that bogus answer is, is injected into Romans 5 to create a doctrine. It's a thing of beauty in an icky sort of way. But you still haven't shown me a single verse that actually says, words right in the verse, that Adam's guilt was transmitted to the rest of humanity. You showed me that death was transmitted, which is what I said from the beginning, and then extrapolated to, well, death must be because of guilt. All you need to do of return, that is one example of where someone innocent died through no fault of their own. How about Nebeth, in addition to the ones I've already given? The point is that there is no logical, exegetical, or theological necessary connection between death and guilt. Okay, I can't get my little siren thingy to work, but just, uh, you know, pretend that it's going, you know, like a, like a cool siren. Anyways, another note, you still haven't answered how Jesus gets off the hook if the traditional view is correct. What are you waiting for? Let's have that answer. Be warned, if you tackle this, it'll be even more difficult and possible now that Augustinian views of Hebrews 7, 8, 10 have been blown to bits. Good luck. This impasse is what really prompted me to reconsider 512. Dang. Leaving out on a high note. Okay. Yeah. So we have Romans 512. He seems like he's pretty much debunked the views of these commenters. Some of them not very good. Some of them relatively good. I think there's an argument to be made that Romans 512 is talking about spiritual death. I don't necessarily think that it has to be that, you know, that, you know, he, that, you know, some kind of, oh, you know, it must be spiritual death because Adam didn't, Adam didn't die immediately. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I don't necessarily see a reason to reject the, you know, actual physical death because it is certainly true that Adam's sin caused death for all humanity. And the reason is, is because they could not have had access to the tree of life anymore. They were kicked out. And therefore, we have no other way to live eternally. Except through Christ, of course. Which is interesting. Of course, that's also another thing, though, is that in the passage, it compares the Christ, the life we get with Christ, eternal life, with you know, the death we get from Adam, but obviously we're not living forever. We eventually die even if we get Christ. So it seems like it could be implying that the death is referring to spiritual death. Uh, inspiring philosophy has some other good arguments, and there's a long list of good arguments for spiritual death, I think, but at the same time, I don't see why we should, you know, therefore necessarily say that physical death isn't there, isn't in there anyways. Eventually, I will talk about that more in a professional way but this has been fun i hope you guys enjoyed this conversation i want to hear your comments please comment share your thoughts tell me how i'm wrong tell me how heiser's wrong i want to hear it until next time make sure to like and subscribe so you can get more content like this tell me more interviews or uh, you know tell me more of the articles that i should do i hope you guys have a good one until next time